Thank you so much for your word. We love your word. We love being able to learn more about you. And Lord, I just pray right now that the anointing would be thick. The glory would be awesome. Lord, help everybody to lock in and focus. Give you their best, your full attention. Lord, anoint our eyes and ears to be able to see and hear what you want us to see and hear. That we have eyes and ears of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. And let this word be as living seeds of truth as you speak through me in a good fertile soil. Water by the Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. But Lord, help us to get locked in tonight. The Holy Spirit to help us just to get our minds focused and our vision locked into what you're showing us and our ears in tune with what you're saying. And that will really be captivated throughout this sermon. In Jesus' mighty name. All right, are we ready to go, Brother Zach? We good? Man, the presence of God is thick here tonight. Wow, it's strong on me. Okay, so anyway, I want to talk about the apostolic revival. I can do this, I promise. I'm just trying to get my composure here. It's, it really is just the Holy Spirit's very strong to not appear. I don't know what you feel there, but right here. Okay, so anyway, humility and wisdom. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is that we, we need to have the humility and the wisdom to go receive from God where He's moving. How many knows when Jesus was here, somebody would have been extremely foolish to hear that Jesus was walking through Roy City and they were too lazy or too prideful or whatever to get up and go to Roy City. And their attitude was, well, you know, if the Lord wants to touch me, He can just touch me right where I'm at. How many people have that attitude? It's hard for me to not believe that's just pride. Okay? But having the humility and the wisdom to go where God is moving and receive that impartation. You know, Lila Terhune, who's coming with us to do that conference, you know, she said she wrote a book called Cross-Pollination. In fact, her whole ministry at Brownsville was kind of labeled along those lines of cross-pollinating. But what she was talking about was that you would take from different revivals. And just like a bees will cross-pollinate, that you're receiving that anointing, you're sharing the anointing that's on your life and you're cross-pollinating the body of Christ, different anointings coming together. And what God spoke to me one time was this. He said, the coat of many colors. Remember Joseph's coat of many colors? He told me, he said, the coat of many colors is a mantle of many anointings. And Rodney Hare Brown said, the Lord told him one time, if you'll protect the anointing on your life, the anointing will in turn protect you. But we need the humility and the wisdom to go and receive from God. Also, we need the humility and the wisdom to learn from history. How many of those people that don't learn from history usually repeat the same mistakes? Going back and looking over not only world history and all that, but looking over church history and make sure that you're not in line to make some of the same mistakes others have made. That's one of the things I've really enjoyed about God's generals. It, it points out all the positive and really is honoring to these great men and women of God who really are generals. But it also... It points out some of the errors that we can avoid. And it's the same way in the Bible. When you look at people's lives, you see all the positive, but you also see the errors so that we can avoid those errors. Let me tell you some things real quick prophetically. Hot coals are being gathered in to prepare wineskins. What I mean by that is, there was a time when God had different people that had been powerfully touched in revival. And He was sowing them into dead churches all over. And God was doing this hoping that the churches would respond to that fire and get on fire for God and revival would break out. But many churches did not respond. 
And unfortunately, many of the leadership didn't want it either. And God will never move except through leadership. I'm just telling you. You can go, if there's a church that the church people want revival, but the pastor is the only one that does not want revival, revival still will not come until either God changes that pastor's heart or exchanges him for a different pastor. I remember when, when Father's Day broke out and Steve Hill was praying for people in Pensacola, God was touching people. But when John Kilpatrick got up and he stood up there by the pulpit like this and he said, this is it, get in. As soon as he said that, it was like all of heaven just slammed that place and revival broke out. But if John Kilpatrick had got up and said, we need to just shut it down, this isn't what we want, it would have died. So I'm saying that to say that God has allowed these coals of fire to go into different churches, but I really believe that they've had space to repent, and now God is beginning to gather these people that are hungry for revival into places where He's moving. And some of the distinctions that's going to be in these last days is there's going to be places where God's glory is so thick and so tangible that it will literally be like a dome of fire in the spirit realm that's going to protect His people in these last days. And it's going to become so thick and so intense that I believe that people, even if they're lost, they come into that atmosphere, they're, they're going to be healed from things. Because the glory is just so intense that sickness just literally dies in that atmosphere. I really believe that, even if they're lost. They're just, there's a spectator looking around, you know, and all of a sudden it's like something in them just, just is healed. Because the atmosphere is so thick with the glory. Now, I really believe that people that are hungry for revival are going to see that type of visitation of God's glory. It's beginning. But there's also going to be places that are going to, to suffer because they refuse to deal with sin and refuse to want God's presence. And so because of that, they're going to, they're going to find themselves struggling financially. They're going to find themselves struggling with sickness. And they're going to find themselves struggling under the weight of the satanic attack. And it's going to be hard. Because we need that glory. Where the glory of God is, for whatever reason, look at the life of Obed-Edom. Where the glory is, there seems to be finances that are drawn to the glory. There seems to be health that's in the glory. And there seems to be victory over the enemy. Whenever God sent Israel to battle, if they, if they had those priests carrying that ark, you knew that the battle was already won because God went in front of them. Another thing I want to say is this. Streams are coming together. God has been releasing revival on different streams. The whole Brownsville stream, which is, is turned into the Bay Revival, the stream out of Toronto, different streams out of Africa, Asia, different places, okay? What's happening is people that had the humility and the wisdom to go receive all these different anointings, all these streams are beginning to come together and form a mighty river. And this incredible river that's coming is going to be a river of, when people get in this river again, there's going to be healings, there's going to be miracles, there's going to be deliverances. It's going to be amazing. But we've all got to have the humility and the wisdom to go receive from the Lord. I mean, how foolish would it be if we knew today, if the Apostle Paul was living in our day, and he was going to be speaking somewhere, and, and people just had the attitude like, well, it's just like a flippant attitude, like, well, who cares, you know, it's not that big a deal. Why should we go out of our way? You see what I'm saying? We need to have the wisdom about us to know God's hand is mightily on certain places, certain ministries, certain people. And we need to honor that and receive from that. Alright, and then this is the last prophetic thing to kind of talk about. This sermon is going to be a little bit prophetic, if, if that's okay. 
But the last wave of revival that has taken place already was preparation for what we're about to see. See, for example, a lot of those that were mightily touched in Brownsville are now starting to emerge and come up as pastors and leaders, but they have the DNA of revival within them. So what God has done in this last wave is he's brought a lot of people into the kingdom. A lot of people got saved through Brownsville, but many, many people are are beginning to emerge now, and they're going to be leaders in the coming revival. And there's a mighty move of God that's been prophesied, and I want to get this in this sermon. So just bear with me because I know you already know this. But Dr. Cho prophesied that it would begin in Pensacola and burn like a match head. Intense. You ever strike a match, it burns real intense. And he said it would begin there. Then he said it would move 50 miles west, which it has right now at the Bay Revival. I think Louisiana was mentioned, but regardless of whether or not it was, there is an outpouring going on in Louisiana right now. But anyway, as, as he said that this revival would back up again into Florida, and then it would move up the east coast up into the northeast, which is, I guess, the New England area. I'm not, I don't think there was a specific town named. Then he said it would come across the nation to the southwest, which I'm assuming would be Southern California area, something like that. And then it would go up the west coast, and when it got to the Pacific Northwest, then all of America would be ablaze in the fires of revival. So we're on a definite timetable. And then Ruth Ward Heflin, she was in Jerusalem, caught up in the spirit. She was shown the last day revival. She saw all of America blaze in the fires of revival. And she said when those fires of revival had fully been ignited all over the whole nation, then Dallas would be the hub. But that's down the road. So I'm just saying that there's major significant prophecies over this nation and over this region. There's a great preparation going on. So I'm coming from that kind of that prophetic angle in this sermon. All right, let me just get into this. This is really somewhat of a prophetic sermon. I am going to talk about apostles before I close, but let me say a few things here. There's a coming great division between those of the Spirit of God and those of the accuser of the brethren. Remember, any time we see something wrong with a person, a church, a ministry, whatever, and, and it doesn't take a lot to figure this out. There's something wrong with all of us. Nobody's perfect. There's something wrong with everybody in this room. Everybody that's listening to this. If you think there's nothing wrong with you and you're hearing this, you have a pride issue. That's what's wrong with you. Okay. So there's something wrong with everybody. We all have our issues. And every church and ministry on the planet right now, every one of them, are not perfect. And if you get on demon goggles, okay, of criticism, and you put on your demonized sunglasses where, where now the devil's helping you to see everything that's wrong and you become critical, fault-finding, judgmental, you're going to find it. You don't have to look too hard to find it. But see, here's the thing. God is wanting us to be intercessors, not accusers. The accuser of the brethren is those that are always seeing what's wrong, and they try to tear it down, and they begin to try to criticize and fault-find. There's no grace or mercy. It's just negative, critical, fault-finding, and they're judgmental, and they want to argue and fuss about it. Somebody that's got Jesus' heart that's a true intercessor will see what's wrong because the Holy Spirit's showing them, not a demon. The acute, let me say this too. Those that are of the accuser of the brethren are discerning things by an evil spirit. They're not by themselves in this. Something is helping them. Something's riding their shoulders and pointing it out to them. 
hey, did you see this? What about this? Look at that. And it's helping them, okay? But those that are not of that spirit, they, they have um, the heart of Jesus, they have the love of Jesus, and they see something wrong with their brother or sister, they see something wrong with the church ministry, whatever, they do not try to go around tearing it down. Love covers. They go into the secret place and they begin to earnestly pray and intercede for that person or that ministry because they love them and they want to see them overcome. That is a true intercessor. And their ministry is to cover the sin and to pray for them. So there's going to come a great distinction between these two camps. And what is happening is, as those that are of the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says in the last days, the accuser of the brethren would be cast down. Alright. God is going to remove all the stumbling blocks to revival, souls being saved, and everyone that's causing division. Let me say that again. How many, there are people that are stumbling blocks. That's probably the worst thing that you can be, but there are people that are stumbling blocks. They're stumbling blocks to other people's salvation because they're so selfish that they don't love other people enough and they think to themselves, well, you know, as a Christian, I can do this, this, and this, and this. Well, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But let's just say that you can. But if what you're doing is a stumbling block to somebody else and it's going to make somebody else fall into sin, it's going to hurt somebody else, the Apostle Paul said, don't do it. But see, too many people, they, they don't care about anybody else but themselves. And so a, they become a stumbling block to others that are weaker in the faith. Does that make sense? Just because maybe you can do something and maybe you can handle it doesn't mean somebody else can. And you have to love them enough to pull back and not do it around them. Number two, stumbling blocks are those that the devil sows into churches that are there to divide. And the reason why is because the devil knows that if a pastor and the intercessors and all the intercessors are constantly just having to pray about the fires that are started by this individual, the pastor has to go behind them trying to clean up all the mess they start. The church is in a constant state of turmoil because of them. Then how are they going to win souls? How are they going to see revival? How are they going to see their city changed? Because they're constantly having to go deal with this individual that is just causing trouble. That's a stumbling block. The Lord, I believe this with everything in me, is sending out His angels and they are going to grab these stumbling blocks and they're going to pull them out of the way. I had a vision one time when we were praying and we were interceding here, here in the church. It was on a Tuesday night prayer meeting. And we were praying and I don't know why, but the Lord really started speaking to my heart about praying about Jezebel's being removed out of churches. It was just a general prayer. But as I was praying about it, and all, all that were here were agreeing with me, it was just one of those moments, I had a very clear vision. And I saw this play out like a movie screen, and I saw an angel walk into a church, and when it went and grabbed some woman by the back of her shirt like this, and started walking and pulling her, and she was screaming. I mean, just like saying things that you shouldn't say. Just screaming and yelling and making a fuss, but she was steadily going out of the church. That's what the Lord's going to do. He's going to pull people out that are stumbling blocks. There's people that are stumbling blocks to revival in a city. There's people that are stumbling blocks to the move of God. And God's going to deal with them. And I believe the stronghold of religious witchcraft is coming down in our region. And I believe God's going to break the power of this thing. I really do. 
I've already preached on that, so I don't want to get bogged down there. We will see a great shift in spiritual authority away from denominational politics to true apostolic and prophetic biblical authority. Now let me say, I don't have anything against denominations, and um, I, I don't have a problem with people being a part of it at all. Okay, But bottom line is, there's a big difference between man-made politics and the kingdom of God, the authority of God, the authority of heaven, where God has established apostles and prophets and they operate under a mantle and authority. There's a huge difference between them and man-made, man-exalted, man-appointed authority figures. Okay, And the way a lot of people get into authority is because they're, they're voted in. And I know this, this church may be the exception to the rule, but let me just say, number one, voting is not biblical anyway. There's nowhere in the Bible. But let's just say people were determined to do that. Most churches in America are not in a place where they need to do that because there's too many people that don't even have a prayer life. And they're not hearing from God. They're just voting on a popularity contest of who they like. Which is resulting in people getting in positions that never should have been there in the first place. When you read the Bible, you see that Jesus appointed. He didn't go out and gather a couple thousand people and say, I'm going to get a few loaves and fishes. And we're all going to sit around. I'm going to feed all of you. And now I'm going to cast a ballot. I want you, everybody to raise your hand if you want Peter to be an apostle. And if you don't, I want you to raise two hands. Okay? And he didn't take a vote on who. He just simply heard from the Father. And he said, this is the way it's going to be. Okay? That they were appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We will see a mighty, violent move of the Spirit of God that ushers in billions into the kingdom. I believe that before Jesus comes. The last wave of revival was preparatory for what's coming. And we're seeing the bride being made ready for Christ's return. There's a fire that is released right now in the body of Christ that is a preparation for Christ's return. The fire of the Holy Spirit is burning out all the junk. And God is preparing, Jesus is preparing a bride for His coming. Before Jesus comes, a revival of all the fire that has ever been sown upon the earth is going to be gathered into one big ball of fire and thrown upon the earth. Jesus said, I long to cast fire on the earth and I wish it was already kindled. There was a man, a prophet, that died years ago, but before he died he said the Lord has showed him the last day revival. And how many of you guys remember the Smith Wigglesworth prophecy about the last day revival? He saw it. Many of these generals saw it. Before they died, it was like Moses looking at the promised land. You know, They saw it, but they also knew that they weren't going to live to see it. They saw it in the spirit realm, but they knew, I, will, I won't live. It'll be a next generation. But I remember this prophet said that before Jesus comes, that he saw Jesus standing above the earth and gathering up all the fire that's ever been sown in the earth into one big giant ball of fire. And Jesus threw it on the earth. That's what's coming. That is where we're at. That is what's in front of us. And I believe that literally billions, because of that, are going to come to know Jesus. And even places where missionaries have not been able to get into, God is going to send angels to open doors. The Bible says, and I believe Matthew thirteen thirty nine. I could be wrong about where it's at, but it says the, the end of the age is the harvest. And the angels are the harvesters. Meaning that God's going to send angels that are going to break open areas to see a harvest. 
They're going to open doors in the Spirit. They're going to open it up so that people can get in. So, so that people can hear the gospel, whether it be through television, radio, the internet, or preachers being sent, whatever. Angels are going to open that door. And not only that, even places that have been extremely difficult for, for missionaries to get into, Jesus himself is going to appear to people. There's reports after reports after reports of people that live in Muslim countries that are having visions of Jesus Christ coming to them. They're, they're, they're you know, facing the Easter or whatever and praying you know, to Allah. Because that's what they grew up in. That's all they know. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ walks in and stands in front of them and says, Turn away from that. Follow me. And they're accepting it. I mean, this is happening so much that it's becoming common knowledge now. And I'm going to tell you something else. You know, we all have had a tendency in America to be a little agitated with Iran. But let me tell you, there's an underground movement in Iran among the young people that do not like Islam at all. And many of them want Jesus. What you're seeing is, is you're seeing radical leaders. But you're not seeing the heart of a lot of the people there. They don't like the leaders. They want democracy. I'm just telling you that. But see, Jesus, that's what I'm trying to tell you. There's, there's places that it's hard for missionaries to get into, but Jesus himself is visiting those places. There's going to be a restoration of all aspects of Jesus' ministry to the degree that there will probably be, once again, before Jesus comes, some kind of an apostolic epicenter coming out of Jerusalem, probably. Everything is going to come to the fullness. All things are going to be restored. One of the things that will be restored is the message. Jesus will once again be truly preached. The gospel will truly be preached the way it's supposed to be preached again. Salvation will be preached. Jesus will be preached as the healer. He'll be preached as the deliverer. He'll be preached as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He'll be preached as the soon coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords that will take over the earth. But He will truly be preached for who He is. And the message of the kingdom will come once again. And there is a restoration of Christ's government being established in the earth through the apostles and the prophets. It's happening. And there's a lot of religious leaders, denominational leaders or whatever that hate it. And they're fighting it tooth and nail. They throw every stone they can at it. They criticize as much as they can. But you can't stop Jesus. They can hate the apostles and they can hate the prophets. They can hate the fivefold ministry. It's still going to be established in the earth. That's just the way it is. Because it really is not going to be us that does anything or other churches. It's going to be Jesus himself and they can't stop him. So let me get into the apostolic ministry. We need to be under apostolic authority. If people want to be a part of some kind of a denomination or fellowship, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But I'm telling you that you need to find a way, pray and get underneath apostolic covering. Because there is an authority invested in apostles and prophets. I've been in meetings where somebody that's a true prophet of God I don't believe everybody calls themselves a prophet is. But I've been in meetings where somebody that is a true prophet of God begins to prophesy. And man, the whole place is just electric. I mean, you can feel it down to your toenails. Okay? I remember I was in a meeting with Chuck Pierce. And out of nowhere, he had a word and started... And I mean, it was just so... It was explosive. You could just feel it. Because it's a true prophet truly prophesying the word of God. 
And I've been around people that are apostolic. I don't believe everybody that says they're apostle is one at all. But there are a lot of apostles out there that are real. Like Dutch Sheets, for example. And uh, John Kilpatrick. And there's many others. But man, when you get around apostolic authority, there's such an authority. Like David Hogan is another apostle. I believe Benny Hinn and Rodney Hare Brown are apostolic. I really do. But there's an authority invested in apostles that there's a mantle. And they, see, this is what I want to get through to you. A mantle that's on somebody that's apostolic, they have authority from heaven to, to come into geographic areas and see that area change. They have an authority invested in them to deal with the principalities and powers and the strongholds of that area. Whereas somebody that is a voted official, and they may be a wonderful person. They may be a, they may be a better person than the apostle over here. But it doesn't matter. Because if they're voted into that office and they don't carry that authority, they're, they're basically going to be firing blanks at those principalities, so to speak. And they're going to be struggling. But somebody that's apostolic comes in, the authority is there to shift that region and to shift the atmosphere. That's just the way it is. And so we need apostolic authority once again to be in different geographic areas. Different people have apostolic authority over their city. Some people have it over a nation. They have apostolic authority over a nation. And some people have apostolic authority that God has invested where they go from place to place. And everywhere they go, it shifts the atmosphere. It brings change to the region. I remember Carlos Anacondia, no doubt in my mind he's an apostle. And he would go from city to city during the Argentine revival and whole cities would come to Christ. These are places that have never known the gospel like that. I mean, many of them were Catholic. Many of, many of the people there were caught up into different forms of pagan worship and, and, and magic. And they would pray and they would fast and they would earnestly seek God until they felt the Lord went in front of them and bound the strong man. Once they felt that in their spirit, then they would go. And literally that whole city would be changed. This is apostolic authority, I'm trying to tell you. And whenever Carlos Anaconda would get up on the platform and he would take authority over the devil, people would manifest. And they, they would have to be carried off because they were manifesting demons. Healings would break out. Apostolic authority. But apostolic authority is something also that comes... You're born... The gifting and calling is without repentance. You're born called. But there's a time when you're commissioned. And I'll explain that in a moment. So the apostle... And the prophet. I'm going to talk next week on the fivefold ministry and explain prophets and all that, okay? But I'm going to stick with apostles tonight. The greatest example, one of the greatest examples of an apostle in the Bible was Moses. I know that that sounds weird, but he's a good example of an apostle. One of the greatest examples of a prophet was Elijah. When you look at Moses, you see authority. You see signs and wonders. You're seeing an apostolic mantle to affect nations. And Elijah was the same way, but in the prophetic realm. And let me sh share a few things. Evangelists are concerned with the beginning. But apostles are devoted to the final result. The full maturity of the church. Let me say it again. Evangelists are devoted to the beginning. They're devoted to people getting saved. Born again. Birthing people into the kingdom, but a true apostle is devoted to seeing those people brought to maturity in Christ. Okay. 
The apostolic ministry, and I'm about to break it down for you and show you what it is. The apostolic ministry is especially devoted to seeing the church become the temple of the Lord, a dwelling place for God's glory. That is a major component. A true apostle has a heart to, to create a dwelling place for God, for his glory. Let me give you some things about true apostles. Number one, they will be spiritual fathers. Look at the life of Paul. He had spiritual children like Timothy. The thing about the apostolic ministry, there's a grace there that they have a tendency to see reproduced in other people what God has put in them. Like this. They have the ability, it's, it's apostolic, they have the ability that whatever God has put in them, spiritually speaking, in their spiritual DNA, to see that imparted into other people, and literally that DNA get in other people. It's spiritual fathering. Spiritual fathering is a lot more than, ju than just spending time with somebody. That's part of it. But it's literally imparting into them what you have with God. DNA, spiritually speaking, being imparted into them. See, a true evangelist will impart a heart for evangelism, a burden for the lost. An apostles will impart what they have with God into other people. Alright, also, true apostles usually do not go from church to church pastoring or teaching. True apostles usually want to plant things because that's in their heart. To see something come out of nothing. Church planting, ministry planting. They, it's not in their heart to go into something that's already there. But it's in their heart to see things birth, something new and fresh. Church planting. The next thing is, true apostles help establish God's government in the earth. That's authority and anointing. People say, well, what is God's authority in the earth? God's authority in the earth has a lot to do with the anointing. See, somebody can be an elected official. They can be placed in some kind of a position and not have an ounce of anointing. But somebody that's truly apostolic and they're really an apostle, there will be an intense anointing. Because it is by the anointing that things get done. It's the anointing that breaks the power of the devil. It's the anointing that brings healing to the sick, deliverance to the captives. It's the anointing. And so they're not as interested in people trying to offer them some kind of a position of influence of man. They're comfortable in the mantle that God's given them. And they are operating in a great anointing. To destroy the devil's works. Y'all listen, hear me. This is important right here. Because it is the mantle that brings the breakthrough. It's the anointing and the spiritual authority. Not a man-made authority, a spiritual authority. So you can tell people... Let me, let me explain it this way. The anointing is wonderful. But there's a lot of times when I'm praying for people... And other, many other ministers can, can attest to this too. That you're not just using... You can't use the Holy Spirit, so let me word this a different way. It's not just the anointing functioning, but you're using your authority to bless. You're using your authority to break the power of the devil. You're using your authority to command sickness to leave. 
You see what I'm saying? There's an authority there. And when you use your authority, then the Holy Spirit will back that up. Once you use your, your spiritual authority, when you use it, then the Holy Spirit will curse the sickness. He will bring the healing. You command the demonic to flee, and the Holy Spirit and angels will drive them out. But it's us using our authority. But God has established His government in the earth through the apostles and the prophets. The next thing, he most likely a true apostle has literally seen the Lord at some time. It's not necessarily that it has to be that way. But most true apostles can tell you a time when Jesus Christ appeared to them and called them. And they know that they're, they know that they're called to be an apostle. And they may or may not talk about that a lot, but they've had some kind of an encounter with the Lord. Because the early church, the Apostle Paul referenced it as his credentials that he saw the Lord. But the early church, the apostles, what were they to do? To testify of the Lord's resurrection from the dead. So they saw him and they testified of his resurrection. So many times a true apostle at some point in his life, the Lord appeared to him and now he can testify that in fact I have seen that the Lord has raised from the dead. I'm a first-hand witness. Also, a true apostle will have apostolic vision and revelation and travail. In other words, a true apostle can go into an area that's like a valley of dry bones, spiritually, but he can see a temple being built there. He can see the finished result, the vision of the Lord, and also, the Apostle Paul said this. I'm connecting this. You get the vision for it. But the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4.19, I'm again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So there's the combination. You see the vision, but you also have the travail and the intercession to see that thing come to pass. And sometimes it can take years and decades before you see everything move into fruition. That's why people cannot give up. Many of the great revivals that have happened have been decades in the making. Decades. Not, not one or two years. Decades. And too many people are looking at things that, where they've already got the breakthrough and they've already got the victory and they've already seen something and they want to flock to that. That's fine. But you don't see too many people that want to go into a spiritual desert and, and pray and intercede until they see the cloud, the size of a man's hand start coming. And they're going to stay there and they're going to stay there until they see the fullness of what the Lord is wanting to do there. But see, a true apostle will do that. And it literally can take 10, 15, 20, 30 years before they see the fullness of it. It's not something that's always quick. Also an apostle is somebody that's a special messenger. They will have a mandate and they will have a message from the Lord to deliver. Many apostles have been named something like the apostle of faith, or the apostle of prayer, whatever. Because that was part of their mandate, was to preach that. Now, for example, um, the apostle of faith, people call Smith Wigglesworth an apostle of faith. But that was his ministry. That was his mandate. That was the mantle that was on him. And no, there's no doubt the man was apostolic in many ways, but he carried that authority. Evan Roberts, he was an apostolic person, but he carried that anointing for revival. They said about Evan Roberts, after the revival was completely gone, he was living somewhere else. 
England, I believe, in, in Wales, the revival had died down. And Evan Roberts was brought back to preach, I believe it was his father's funeral. And while he was preaching and he spoke, the people in the audience said as he spoke, they could feel like electricity in the atmosphere. They could feel that revival fire in the atmosphere. And they talked amongst themselves and said, could it be that he's back and revival's about to break out again? Why? Because he was a carrier of it. If somebody is truly apostolic, they carry that mandate, they carry that mantle, and that mantle has something to do with their calling. If they're somebody like Evan Roberts that, that carries a mantle of revival, everywhere they go, you're going to feel that revival atmosphere around them. It's a mantle. Another thing about a true apostolic ministry is that they will function in all five offices to some degree, but some offices will be more pronounced than others. And let me show you it in the life of the Apostle Paul. We know Paul was definitely an apostle. We know that he was a prophet. Because in Acts, I believe it was around uh, 13 or so, he, he was um, in Antioch. And it says in the Bible that there was prophets and teachers that were there in Antioch. This was the passage in the book of Acts where it says that the Holy Spirit spoke to them when they were in prayer and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas to the work to which I've called them. So Paul and Barnabas were known as, in that church, prophets and teachers. But whenever the time came and the Holy Spirit set them apart and they laid hands, the elders laid hands on them, they were then released into apostolic ministry. So my point being that Paul, you can see in his life, he was definitely an apostle, he was definitely a prophet, and he was definitely a teacher. But he also pastored churches, and he also was an evangelist that went from town to town seeing people saved. But you see, all the different offices were at work there, but some of them more pronounced than others. Like you'll take one person that's apostolic, and he, the, the giftings in his life may be really strong as a prophet and a teacher. But you get somebody else that's apostolic, and the gifting in his life seems to be really strong with evangelism. He's just always burning within him for souls. He's always out on the streets. Do you see what I'm saying? That all of it is there, but some giftings will be more pronounced than others in different people based on their calling. Also, another thing about a true apostle, signs and wonders will follow them. And that's, that's, I want you to remember that in the book of Revelation, Jesus commended a church for testing the apostles to make sure that they were true apostles. Don't just accept somebody just because they say, I'm an apostle. You need to look at the fruit of their life. Because there's a lot of people that want to give themselves that little label. Apostle so-and-so. I have found that most people that are true apostles don't go around advertising it. they got a big neon sign on their car. So it's got little arrows down on them. It's flashing, I am an apostle. And they drive through town, you'll look at me. And You know, true apostles usually are secure enough. They don't have to do that. And I've also found that true prophets of God don't do that either. Usually somebody, not saying all the time, usually somebody that's got issues <laughs> goes around wanting everybody to know I'm a prophet. Look at me, you know. So that's usually a red flag to me when people are telling me how great of a prophet they are or an apostle or whatever. It's like, okay. Good for you. We will see. 
But anyway, we need to make sure. I'm I'm very open to the apostolic and prophetic, you know, the fivefold ministry. We need it. And I'm going to close with explaining why we need it. We need it. We need to honor it. We need to receive from it. But I'm also not going to, I refuse to just accept the fact that everybody out there that calls themselves an apostle or prophet is one, because they're not. And the Bible tells us to, to test that and make sure that they really are. All right, so Ephesians 4.11, it says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. I want you to notice that, unity in the faith. In the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants that are tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. And from Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each one does its work. So another thing about a true apostolic ministry is every person getting plugged into what they're called to do. And let me add this into this sermon. You know, everybody's called to do something. You know, some people are really called to, to work with children. Some people are really called to work with youth. And if they're really called to work with youth, they'll be working with youth when they're 40, 50 years old. Not just like, well, I'm young now and then it's just a stepping stone to something else. If you're really called, you'll have a burden for it. It will be in you. Look at Ron Luce. You know, he, he has an amazing ministry uh, for young people and always has. And there's many others like that. Some people are really called to be musicians and singers in the church. And God has put that in them to do it. And other people are called to the fivefold. All of us should have spiritual gifts in our lives, whether it's tongues, interpretation, prophecy, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits, whatever it is, faith, healing, and miracles. We should have gifts. And so I want you to think about in this sermon, what am I called to do? Is it missionary work? Is it street evangelism? Where am I called to function in the body of Christ? Because truthfully, every joint is supposed to supply. That means every person is supposed to be contributing. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that sit out there in the body of Christ like a little bump on a log, and they just sit there their whole life. Never really do anything for the Lord. But all of us have giftings. All of us have a purpose. What is it that God has burdened you? What has He called you? What has He gifted you to do? To be an intercessor and a prayer warrior? What is it? The apostolic ministry has a heart to see everybody doing something and helping to equip them to do it. So let me give you this breakdown. The apostolic ministry will help bring people to maturity. And this is it. Number one, to be adequately, adequately equipped for ministry. A true apostolic ministry will help facilitate people being adequately equipped for ministry. The next thing is to come to the unity of the faith, which is much more than just unity around a doctrine. It is so important. A true apostolic ministry will have a heart for unifying the body. Now, Some people say, well, how can we be completely unified when we believe different? 
the key is is to quit majoring on the minors you know and to come together in prayer for for revival in your city you know to come together in evangelism just to win the lost you see what i'm saying let's come together about what we agree on but we've got to find some we we all if, if somebody's truly a christian we all at least have christ in common we all at least have the cross in common so why can't we rally around the cross and bring people to the cross? A true apostolic ministry, number three, will help people come to the full knowledge of the Son of God. Seeing Jesus for who He really is. Number four, will help the body of Christ be raised to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, great maturity. Number five, will help people no longer be spiritual children, but to become mature in the faith. Number six, no longer tossed about by waves, winds of doctrine, and trickery of men. That's important. Because there's a lot of teaching out there. There's a lot of things out there. And you've got to have an anchor in sound doctrine to where you're not just blown. You know, the thing about something like an oak tree... You're not going to see a wind blow really strong in somebody's backyard. And then you go out in your backyard the next day and you're like, man, the oak tree used to be over there. Now it's over here. You know, you're not going to see that. Because the oak tree has roots down deep that sustain it where it's at. Okay. And the winds may blow here and there, but the oak tree has got some kind of a... I'm using this metaphorically, obviously, but deep roots down to where it's not going to be tossed all over the place by it. Okay? It's important to know what you believe and be able to defend that with Scripture. There's been times in my life where people really challenge something that I believe. And at that time in my life, I wasn't really established in it, but I knew what I believed, but I didn't know how to explain it or defend it. But once they really started coming after me about it, I would go and I would begin to really research it out for myself. And what happened was I really researched it and therefore I really got established in that, what I believe. So sometimes those that that attack are actually just helping to strengthen you in what you believe. Number seven, to grow up in all aspects into the head. This is the apostolic commission. It is far beyond any human genius or ability to accomplish. If we are going to truly be apostolic, our labor will not be finished until Christ is formed in His people and God has a dwelling place on the earth. I love the scripture in Revelation where it says Jesus walks among the lampstands. The lampstands represents the churches. You know... What would it be like to have a church where Jesus, His presence and power, His glory was so thick? It was the Lord moving among us. You know, that, that's the heart of the apostolic. That we have a dwelling place for God Almighty. So this is what I want to close with. The apostolic calling versus the commissioning. Romans 11.29 says that, you know, um, the gifts and calling is without repentance. We're called from birth. All of us are called from birth to do whatever it is we're called to do. But it doesn't mean that we're commissioned yet. If the gift and calling is without repentance, that means when the Apostle Paul was born, 
He had a calling on his life to be an apostle. But he would have never thought that. It was still there. The calling was there. But he would have never known it. But see, the thing about the Lord, I want you to hear me in this. The thing about the Lord is this. The Lord knows the end from the beginning. He knows your personality. He knows what it's going to take to get you where you need to go. He knows all of your life what school teachers to put in your life when you're a little kid. He knows what church. He knows what people to put around you. Some of them may be extremely evil human beings, but the Lord still works things in your life through that. He does. And the Lord knows it's just like a key. See, you are the key to your destiny. But the Lord has to cut you to where when you're finally fashioned and you're ready, then He can turn that lock and open the door of your destiny. But the Lord has to prepare you. So throughout your life, just like Paul, you know, he studied under certain people. He was a Pharisee. And all of his life, he was being formed for what he was called to do. And he didn't even know it. In fact, he would have been the last person to know it. Until Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Had the nerve to knock him off his donkey on the ground. You know, people say, well, where's falling under the power in the Bible? Well, there's one place. You know, people say, why do you fall? Because you can't stand up. It's not a hard, complicated thing. You know, it's not like the Apostle Paul just stood there and said, that's not hurting at all. There's nothing to that. You know, it's... When Jesus showed up, the power of God was so strong, he was thrown up to the ground, and he was blinded. The power of God is so awesome, and so, so amazing. But anyway, so Paul was being fashioned, and as he became a Christian, there were many years that he was being prepared. He was studying the scriptures, he was praying, and when, he got, when the time came, he was functioning as a prophet and as a teacher in Antioch. He was in prayer. And when the time came, the fullness of time in his life, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Paul and Barnabas to that which I've called them. And the elders laid hands on them from that moment. Then he was commissioned into the apostolic ministry. And he then began to truly walk in the apostolic ministry. Not before. So the point being that many of you are called to something, but it's not time yet. So... Do everything within your power to let the Lord prepare your life. Get in prayer. Get into the Word. Grow spiritually. Because the depth that you go now will have everything to do with down the road. See, please catch this. Moses had his burning bush experience. And then years later, you know, God took Moses. Well, Moses fled Egypt, remember? And I would imagine when he left being a child in Pharaoh's house, I imagine that he in every way looked like an Egyptian. Everything about him was probably Egyptian really. But he fled Egypt and he went to the backside of a desert with a priest of Midian named Jethro. And he was there for 40 years. And even though Moses had left Egypt, it took 40 years for God to get all of Egypt out of Moses. And in that time... Moses had a burning bush experience where he had an encounter with God. Now follow me. Once he had that encounter with God, then he went and got his, the rest of the Hebrew people, he went and got them, and he brought them to the very place he had an encounter with God. 
Mount Sinai. He brought them there and all of them corporately had an encounter with God where God descended on the mountain and spoke to them just like God had done to Moses in the bush. My point being this, the encounters you have with God now, you will bring people to those encounters later in your life. Did you catch that? Your burning bush experience now, one day down the road, you're going to take people by the hand and they're going to have that encounter with God that you had. You're going to bring them to it. So that's the apostolic ministry. It's fathering. It's birthing something out of nothing. There's a tremendous amount of spiritual authority there. And we need to be aligned with apostolic covering in these last days. These days are going to be trying in the world. Before Jesus comes, these days are going to be dark. But if we are properly aligned under spiritual authority, there's a covering there. And if we have the glory of God and revival in our midst, the glory will protect us. Did you hear that? The glory will protect us. The glory will cause financial prosperity. The glory will cause health. The glory will shield you from satanic attack. And I believe the glory also has a lot to do with apostolic covering. Because what God does, He does through lines of authority. It's like I told you before, if, if, a, if a leader does not want revival, revival won't come. See, a lot of things God does in the earth, He does through lines of authority. He's coming down through apostles and prophets, through authority, lines of authority to get to the people of God. And did you know that there's people that are out there that are actually blocking the power of God from getting to the people, and they know what they're doing? I know of one preacher that, that someone was telling me, he was on staff with him, and the preacher told the guy, he said, the reason people come to this church is because of my preaching. And he says, I cannot let the Holy Spirit move because it will cut into the time of preaching that I have. And if it cuts into the time of preaching, the people will leave. If the people leave, the money will dry up, and then you'll be out of a job. And that's what he told the guy. That's a whole wrong line of thinking that you're taking. You're blocking. And he knew. The guy told me, he said, there were times and services the Holy Spirit would start to move. And this pastor would get up and go, okay, okay, you know, let's all. And he would calm it all back down and get into his sermon. It's not all about your sermon, man. I mean, sermons are important and people need to hear the word of God. But I got an idea. Why not let the services extend a little longer? You know, where God can do what he wants to do and still give a word, you know? It's like, well, we must keep it an hour and a half and, and we've got to have worship for 30 minutes. You're, structure, you're structuring God out. You're preventing the move of God. And I wouldn't want to stand on Judgment Day and see Jesus and have to explain to Him why I thought I was so much smarter than Him that I figured I had it all figured out myself and I didn't need Him to come and take over a church service, you know? It, friend, we need God to move. Anyway, so Lord, I thank You so much. For this word tonight. How I many you guys see the apostolic tonight a little bit different? Does this help you? We, we need the apostolic. We really do. It's important. And that's why I've aligned myself with apostolic covering with, with uh, John Kilpatrick. And, you know, even if something happened to where, you know, that wasn't there, I would align myself with a different apostolic covering. Because there's got to be apostolic authority and covering 
that we're under. I believe in that. And I believe people need a pastor over them. I really do. People say, well, I can just live the Christian life and, and do whatever on my own at home. Friend, you have no idea what you're disconnecting from. You're disconnecting from lines of authority straight from Jesus himself who said in the scriptures I just read from, for you that it all flows from the head down. It all comes from Jesus through lines of authority to you. And some people are cutting themselves off from that. And they're missing all of the benefits of that. Anyway, Lord, I thank you. Let this be sealed tonight in Jesus' name.